Welcome to Third Fridays, the monthly legal talk show from Lois LLC featuring attorney Christian Cisan. This is the original forum in which real attorneys discuss workers' compensation issues, share their opinions, and engage in colorful conversations. This show showcases diverse perspectives of attorneys handling workers' comp cases, including case law trends, practical litigation strategies, and hot topics. Here's your host, Christian Cisan. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the June 2023 edition of the Third Fridays podcast. My name is Christian Cizan. I think we've got a great show for you today. Uh, but for everybody listening, I did want to recap uh, last month's episode, which has been one of our most listened to uh, in quite a while. Uh, we had uh, senior associate uh, Jeremy Janis on to talk about a national conference that one of his clients uh, had uh, put together for us to attend. And we invited one of those uh, employer representatives to talk about uh, safety and technology and how that's impacting their business and in turn, how that affects how we practice and defend their claims. I thought that was very interesting. So uh, my thanks again to Jeremy Janis and Michael DeGinto for last month's episode. Today, we've got something new, something fresh. Uh, I think a lot of people that listen to this show really like to get the ins and outs of particular cases that we defend. It's actually why this podcast was born, because we figured everybody should want to be a fly on the wall when we talk shop about like the nature of a case. And sometimes these cases have fact patterns that make you just scratch your head, make you think, you know, a defense firm in the type of industry that we practice in is not always the bad guy, right? It's one of those cases where uh, you're going to remember that fact pattern for a while. So uh, I'd like to introduce our guest this month, uh, Anthony Eiler. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hey, thank you for having me, Christian. It's awesome to be here. And, uh, you know, I have to also say, uh, you know, congratulations on two big recent events for you, uh, you know, uh, being a father again uh, for the third time. And then also uh, newly minted senior associate at Lois Law Firm. Congrats. We're so proud to have you as part of our uh, little unit here. Thank you. Thank you. Very much appreciated. I, I, I actually remember when you had started uh, at our firm. Uh, we had been working closely together at that time. And uh, to see how far you've come from someone who knew nothing about this industry to being promoted and now talking about this incredible win, uh, you know, that we're going to talk about today, you know, can you, I guess, put into a, maybe a few sentences, like what the process has been like for you and your, your progression throughout our firm? Yeah. So my journey to the firm is, is kind of maybe an unconventional route. Um, I started during COVID. So everything was closed. Everything was remote. Um, my, you know, training was remote. I had been an attorney for a number of years, but I didn't really practice um, in comp exclusively. Um, the firm has been amazing. There's an awesome program here. You're know, teaching you the ins and outs, giving you all the tools in the toolbox that you really need to represent your clients and, and advocate on their behalf. Um, just everyone's been super supportive, even through that crazy, crazy time. And I, you know, I feel very uh, blessed and lucky to be part of uh, this awesome firm. So looking forward to continued success here. So, so we have this incredible case and, uh, you know, if anybody wants, they could actually read about it on the firm website. Uh, but it's still just so jarring to read these facts again and again. So, uh, we have a case where 
the board panel decision was issued a little more than three months ago. Uh, Anthony, why don't we start with where the case was before we got, uh, you know, I guess the voicemail that started it all. Like, where were we in the case in terms of litigation, settlement? What, what, what was going through your head at the time that you received this voicemail? So this is a claim just to give broad strokes background. No, nothing too crazy to necessary other than to say it's a 2013 accident. So this case had been going on for a while. Um, there was established injuries to a number of body parts, including the head, neck, back. So we're talking about various sites of injuries, kind of long, drawn-out case, um, multiple surgeries, the claimant, you know, from a high marked or total for prolonged periods. Um, it was just one of those cases that just was slogging on. And, uh, you know, kind of that was kind of the procedural posture at the time. And this voicemail uh, that we receive, can you give some content as to what was being suggested, who it was from uh, that gave us this idea to really start from scratch? Yeah, so we received a communication from an individual who claimed to know the claimant um, and to be aware of the goings on, you know, at least the effect that they were getting you know, disability, continued payments, indemnity payments. Um, and they seem to be displeased with that because that was, you know, it was their opinion that it wasn't accurate. Um, that kind of prompted a, you know, a fresh look at the case. And one of the things, you know, looking initially at social media and realizing there was, you know, a couple trips to, you know, airplane trips that would be longer than the doctor's restrictions. And that kind of prompted an initial um, raising of 114A fraud. Um, unfortunately, that one didn't go as planned. Um, we weren't successful in that one, but nonetheless, like kind of the antennas were up, and we got a kind of a new found, a new approach to this claim to really, you know, make sure we weren't that every every stone was uh, turned over, so to speak. Yeah, that's 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 a good point, right? We get to a situation where you know maybe uh, turning over this one stone, a social media search, allows us to pursue litigation. We are not successful, uh, but then what happens? Uh, what what did we do to kind of showcase, like, you know, hey, we, we weren't quitting on on this, and we we you know when we have a hunch that's properly justified, uh, what did we do to really uh, push that further? Yeah, so so one of the steps we took, um, we're, we do it frequently in, in other aspects of the case. Um, where we access the public records pertaining to um, civil docket searches, where you can uncover things about third-party claims, which may be related to our accident, um, or in this case, just another civil action that was brought by the claimant. So here, um, <laughs> we did a civil a civil docket search and uncovered the fact that the claimant um, had filed a lawsuit, um, not just a lawsuit, but in order to show cause, which is for, for those who may not know, in order to show cause, you're basically saying not only am I entitled to relief, but I'm entitled to it now. Because if we wait till the end of the trial, it's going to be too late. 
Um, so just to go over briefly what that is and why it was so important, uh, the civil docket search returned a, a complaint in order to show cause where the claimant was trying to clear title essentially of a purebred show dog that she had entered into a um, co-ownership contract with. Um, she was seeking immediate um, relief because she would be irreparably harmed um, because of the dog's short breeding window. So she wouldn't be able to sell the dog or its puppies unless the names of the co-owners from whom she bought the dog were removed from the contract. So, I mean, that was kind of the big smoking gun. That was like the aha moment at that point. So, yeah, I think, uh, We'll have to excuse some of our listeners who may have checked out after you said show dog. That might be the one factor. We're just like, okay, this is a this is a case I do want to pay attention to because that's not your normal run of the mill fact pattern, right? We haven't, but here we have an established claim. She is uh, receiving indemnity benefits for her time lost from work. We're uncovering all this, uh, you know. I guess these materials that have nothing to do with the workers' compensation claim, but that just part of our full service approach where, uh, you know, you and your team find out she is now pursuing something else that we can use in our claim. So what what is it at that point that you're thinking we can use this order to show cause for in the workers' compensation claim? Okay, so I, although we had previously been unsuccessful in our in our attempt to uh, obtain a 114A fraud finding, I, I mean this just this to me was was clear evidence that the claimant's committing fraud and, and doing so on a, on a number of grounds. Because first off, she's testified at multiple hearings that she wasn't engaged in any work activity. Um, meanwhile, she's setting forth all the activities undergone to not only increase the value of her dog, but increase the value of potential litter from breeding the dog um, and requesting um, that she be given clear title so she can profit from that activity. So one, we have undisclosed work activity. We also, I, I probably should have mentioned off the top, this was not like a little lap dog. This was like a 125 pound dog. <laughs> it was very big. Right. Um, not not your, your garden variety chihuahua. This is a a large, large, massive dog. And in the court filings, and she was, she had, you know, uh, those court filings, by the way, are under the penalty of perjury in a civil case. And she's saying that she's caring for the dogs. The dog was shown at some 31 shows in the year and a half period. Um, so, I mean, there's just the activities inconsistent with her stated condition is, is another thing in addition to the, to the, um, the work activities that we previously talked about. So she, she's testifying and, and what is our, what's our strategy in terms of that trial, right? We have this information of what's going on on the side, right? Is our strategy to have her admit it that she's doing that? Or is our strategy to just say, this is the, these are the materials I've uncovered and now she has already committed fraud. Which, which, which avenue were you looking to really litigate in uh, terms of Section One Fourteen A? This was one of those interesting cases where, if I asked her the question whether what was in the order show cause is true, no matter what she said, it was going to benefit my position because she's either saying she previously lied under oath and she's not a trustworthy or under penalty of perjury and it's untrustworthy. And or she's going to admit that she's doing all this activity, which is inconsistent with her, you know, her prior position. So it was one of those things where 
you know, that's why I was so excited when I saw it. Maybe I'm a workers' comp nerd or something, but I was excited when I saw it because, you know, it was one of those situations where her testimony is going to, no matter what she says, is only going to help our position. Well, uh, you know, to that last point, Anthony, I think that uh, we can all safely say that we are in the same company, not just you and I, but uh, people who are listening to this podcast have some element uh, of workers' compensation um, uh, nerditude or, or, you know, some level of uh, association that they really enjoy with this industry. Uh, so we have the hearing. What, what happens at the hearing? This was in uh, May of last year, by the way. So, so May of last year, wh- what, is, what does the judge decide? So the judge, we took the claimant's testimony. She, for, just for what it's worth, she ended up denying being involved in the dog's care, denying that she was even a co-owner. She said she had the dog outright, which was, you know, complete, complete contradiction. Um, and it was one of those things where you could just the, the tenor in the courtroom, like when she, you know, she's under oath, sworn in, we begin the testimony from the first question, you know, essentially you know, to paraphrase, like, did you enter into a co-ownership contract? And she says, no. And the title of the thing is co-ownership contract. It's just like the vibe of the courtroom changes and, and everyone now, not just me, but the antennas go up. And now you have one of those situations where you, you know, you can kind of play to the judge, like not only did she lie, but she's lying to you now. Um, so we did um, continue the testimony. Um, the judge ultimately did find that the claimant violated 114A and committed fraud, um, but the penalty imposed was um, the mandatory penalty, which was a penalty for a um, specific closed period of awards that she found attributable to the misstatement. Um, we had noted an exception to that because we had requested um, the discretionary penalty of a permanent lifetime ban from future benefits. Right. And so in that decision from May of last year, it's this odd point where the judge is saying you violated a statute knowingly, but I'm only going to penalize you for a period of 13 to 14 months, which means that once our client takes credit for those awards previously paid, she can go on collecting benefits. And to me, that's this weird uh, option in the statute where if we're talking about a closed prior award where they just get credit for a statute that really and truly imposes potential criminal liability onto the claimant if the fraud inspector general wants to pursue that on their end, it's it just doesn't really speak to the spirit of the statute or why it's there in place, right? Now, I know maybe claimant's attorneys will have uh, a different uh, take on that, but what you're saying is that we appealed this finding and requested, no, no, this fraud was so egregious that she should never be able to come back and ask for indemnity benefits. And this board panel decision, you know, just a, as a sneak peek to our listeners, like obviously it's going to be a good result. That's why we're talking about it. Uh, what, what did the board panel decision find? What did they say as, as part of their analysis of the case? So the board panel, I mean, to some extent, they adopted a lot of the, you know, the arguments in our appeal papers, which is never a bad thing. Um, ultimately, not to bury the lead, they did they did implement a lifetime ban from future indemnity benefits, which was, you know, that's what we were seeking. In you couldn't tease position. them, Anthony. You could you couldn't you I couldn't keep to, the. If, if that 
wasn't it. I mean, what are we really talking about here? So, <laughs> no, I get yeah, it. I get it. I, I don't want to bury the lead. So we'll tell the people up front. So yeah. they, they did give the lifetime ban. That's the only just result in this case. That's what we were fighting for. Um, and, and in doing so, they relied on, you know, as I said earlier, a lot of the things that that we had argued, one, that the claimant's testimony at trial made no sense whatsoever, because if she wasn't planning on selling these dogs or the puppies, then why file the order to show cause? It doesn't make sense. Um, also, to go to dog shows and sit on a plane for a number of hours when you can't sit for 10 minutes doesn't make sense. Um, they also noted that the claimant um, posted on Facebook that she found a tick on the dog while bathing the dog, which was in direct contradiction um, to her testimony that she never unequivocally she never bathed the dog which you know just to go back that's another one of those things that we did um you have this piece of information the antennas go up and you know now it's deep dive everything publicly available is fair game <laughs> you know you go in there you search the social medias and we find this post from 2019 and it's just sitting there and it's it's basically directly contradicts everything she's been saying so yeah this in this in this odd odd turn of events right the dog had been entered in 31 shows, right? And the claimant testifies in May of last year that she attended three. Well, who else is attending then the other 28? Which is, okay, like maybe I can't prove that you didn't attend the other 28 or, or you did or you did not. But now you're adding direct contradictory evidence supported with things that we're acquiring outside of the workers' compensation arena that makes that circumstantial evidence less credible on her end, where we say, you know, for example, your attendance at those shows requires you to fly and sit on a plane for more than 10 minutes, despite what you're telling your doctors that you can't do that. You cannot sit or stand for more than 10 minutes. And then denying the co-ownership clause gets you to a point of, well, well, you are lying. Yes, you're lying. So what else are you lying about? And that makes a lot of the efforts on the circumstantial end a little bit stronger. So we get to there and the board panel says that her, her testimony is contradictory and self-serving, right? And at that point, you know, we, we know from the, the, the tenor of this decision that it's going to come out favorable for us, right? And you didn't want to bury the lead. So the client now knows we, we secured a win, um, or not the client, the, the, our listeners know, our client has long known this. And what what would you say, Anthony, are your takeaways from this case and, and experiencing this firsthand? So, I mean, a couple of things that, you know, I take away from this case, and, and I think they kind of do tie into some of the things that we do as a firm that maybe make it that separate us from everybody else so some of the clients allow us to handle you know the third party aspects of their claims subrogation and all and all that fun stuff not only are we like equipped to do it but we love to do it because it gives us another reason to be in the file of the civil docket searches and to, to turn over every stone i mean you're not always going to find an order show cause maybe in every single one um, where they basically admit to fraud but there's always potential for crucial information um, and in what we do, that, that information is power. That's how you win cases. Um, and, and beyond that, just stay di stay diligent, like trust your instincts. Like in this case, we felt like something was wrong 
And the reason we felt that way is because something was wrong. So, you know, when you have that inkling, chase it down and do the little things because they add up. And you have to imagine too, right? You mentioned that uh, we attempted a fraud uh, litigation position based on social media posts. That didn't go anywhere too, right? So, uh, you know, the kudos really has to be given to you and your team, Anthony, for you know not giving up this fight when you have that hunch, right? Like maybe... Maybe the hunch isn't justified by a law judge or a board panel, but that doesn't mean that a claimant who doesn't commit Section 114A fraud won't commit it forever, right? Or hasn't committed it in other circumstances that w- that hasn't been uncovered yet. Uh, did, did you feel some sense of, uh, I guess, justification in this decision knowing that the prior litigation uh, position didn't work out? I mean, I don't know that there's a way that you can get this outcome and not feel in some way vindicated by it because you have you you read the medical records and it's painting one picture and just something is telling you your gut is telling you something else and then to be told no by the board and then you just keep working at it and then get the, the a different result um, it's just you have to feel vindicated by something like that. So we had we have a situation now where she's out. Right? She can't get any further indemnity thanks to the hard work of you and your team. Uh, I think it's a, a great uh, example of really what you mentioned, right? This, this full service approach to, you know, even in a situation where we are not participating in any risk transfer scenarios for a particular client, but our experience with doing that gives us those instincts to really take a fresh look at something every once in a while. And I think that's uh, a really great point that you brought up. Um, any final thoughts on, on, on this case that uh, you want to leave with our listeners? I know that uh, we talked about a few takeaways, but I just have to imagine this is just one that's, you know, you're going to remember for a while, right? This fact pattern. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to forget ones it. When, when people talk to you about, you know, like, oh, I'm interested. Like, this is just one that when I'm 80 years old, this is one that I'm just going to, like, laugh at because it's just so bananas. It's completely off the wall. Yeah, um, definitely not. Just to put a complete bow on it, we got more good news recently when the uh, full board review application was denied. So, so yeah, you know, I guess that was their yeah. last shot, right? Uh, please reverse this unanimous decision from February and it's always good to hear that uh, you know in less than uh, four months time the full board is like no we're we're not doing that there's there's nothing being presented um, so uh, thank you Anthony for coming on the show um, for uh, Anthony Eiler my name is Christian Cison reminding you to defend from day one